in what should have been a terrible day for the Blues all round, the blue half of Manchester corrected the global balance of red versus blue by beating us, which was which is a shame because really you want to have good, happy memories of the derby after Mrs. Thatcher finally leaves. But no, in in the end, sadly, it was the the Blues that got to celebrate. They did, yes, and we're not just talking about Bernard Dingham here, but odd day all round, wasn't it, you know? Thatcher finally cut, and, and uh, certain parts of the country have a big celebration about it, uh, not least the football fans of the country, because Thatcher, who did her very best to kill the game, unlike a ridiculous article in the Mail this week, which suggested that it was, she was the saviour of the English game. <laughs> and Dave Whelan, Dave Whelan, oh dear. Yeah, can you imagine Dave Whelan's call for a minute's silence and Margaret Thatcher going down into Alex Ferguson's office? I just really wish they had tried to have a minute silence for Mrs Thatcher at the Manchester Derby. You know, I think at Chelsea versus West Ham, you might get a respectful minute silence for Mrs Thatcher. Yeah, try it at Hillsborough or Anfield. I mean, we're not going to bang on relentlessly about politics and and i am not one to celebrate and revel in the death of an enemy but to to those kind of outsiders who've been confused by the reaction of a good percentage of football fans in england the mrs thatcher was at the heart of the hillsborough conspiracy you know not really at the heart of it but at the top of it she was an a relentless opponent of football and it was lucky to survive her basically just just as she was a sort of relentless opponent of all kind of folk traditions of the working class in, in England. Right, and and her press secretary, Bernard Ingham, said that it was a tanked up mob, yeah, quote unquote, that caused the Hillsborough disaster. So, and you know, her and Bernard were best buddies for nigh on three decades. So let's not pretend she wasn't anything but intimately connected with that conspiracy. Another enemy of football, Roberto Mancini, says United was lucky to be 15 points ahead, now only 12. Is there a wobble happening here? There's definitely a wobble happening. It's whether it's a really serious wobble or not, we'll, we'll learn to tell. Well, I guess actually it's already been a bit of a serious wobble because it you could say it began when we lost it after Nani's red card against Madrid and so the wobble knocked us out of Europe. We were certainly wobbling hard in the FA Cup and we were lucky to get six points in the two fixtures prior to the City game. So, yeah, we're, we're right. in full wobble mode. It's just it's hopefully not going to cost us because we'll write the wobble in time. Well, you'd hope so. I mean, it it doesn't look good, though, does it? You know, I know, look, twelve points. Um, it makes that kind of that kind of statement sound ridiculous, doesn't it? Twelve point lead, seven games to go. But away at Stoke, away at West Ham, next two games could be a bit interesting and tasty. You know, Arsenal and Chelsea as well in the mix. Uh, so there, there are potentially what would have been easy looking fixtures now might not be quite so easy. So th- there might be hope for Blues here. I think it's a really long shot, but but there might be. It's interesting. I mean, the, the events of the last couple of weeks kind of prompted me to start thinking about this you know i we had a, a sort of slight debate about this on last week's pod exactly how much has united progressed this season because what one of the things that ferguson one of the core tenets of this season ferguson has said time and again and i have to say i didn't really believe it was that this team has got f- such fantastic character that they were over able to overcome the disappointments of last season and produce this fantastic football and this great run and all that kind of stuff and all right sounds great doesn't it does does really sound great and i started looking at it and thought hang on a minute this doesn't really stack up so not only have united completely crumbled post 
Madrid, so maybe the character isn't quite as good as Ferguson likes to believe. But actually, compared to this time last season, 31 games in, we're a point ahead. That's it. I've scored less, conceded more. Goal difference is 11 less, so it doesn't look good. And, and then check this out for statistics which are worse than last season. Chances conceded per game, challenges one per game, interceptions one per game, errors are almost 60% up, uh, pass completion rate, pass distribution is now all sideways, where it was more forward, chances created in the final third, pass completion in the final third, shots on target, chance conversion, and of course, you know, all that leads into goals and stuff. It's, it's every key data point you can possibly think of. United are worse in this season. So, you know, I, this kind of, I, I know it's changed the narrative of the, of the season this this last month and a bit but you start to look at the campaign in a new light and you start to think hang on a minute it's maybe City have just massively blown this season you know there's a great debate about the use of statistics in football but when they're really valuable is when you can use them to back up the things that you sort of suspect might be the case and then you look at the data and it's like you've just told me that and I I guess I'm surprised but also can't help thinking you know story checks out that's that all makes sense that those statistics would be worse because United have been weirdly underwhelming this season tell me the times when we've played brilliantly this season yeah, it, I mean, quite exactly. There's there's not that many. And and especially, of course, especially post-Christmas when Ferguson decided that the suicidal defending had to end and change the structure of the United side. United can't defend well without the whole team defending. And, and that is a major flaw. And I kind of did say this at the beginning of the season, but uh, it's a real problem. Got to fix it in the summer. You say particularly since then, but we didn't play very well in any of the games before that. You know, we we had this wonderful comeback spirit and that was great to see. That was really fun and enjoyable and like a crazy roller coaster ride. And I definitely preferred that to the relentless drudgery of the post Christmas stuff. You know, it was it was great fun to be in all these kind of stupid knockabout games. But, you know, once it got real and, and because I guess Fergie saw how badly City were capitulating he was able to reduce the number of risks taken because the whole kind of construction of the high-risk approach, they're like, we're going to score one more than you again, was based on the fact that that was really the only way we were going to compete with City, by going all out. If they played anything like they did last season, if they were the kind of machine that they were last season, but actually that, that hasn't come to pass. And, you know, if you look at Fergie's great rivals over the years... There's not many who've won the league twice in a row. You know, it's, it's really difficult to do. Chelsea did it under Mourinho, who we can all pretty much agree is a special case. How many times did Arsene Wenger win the league twice when Arsenal were really serious challengers? Never, never is the answer. And I knew that one off the top of my head. So there you go. It just goes to show winning the league twice in a row is incredibly difficult to do. And the fact that United win it two and three and four times in a row is ridiculous. You know, it's it's a testament to how incredible Fergie is at doing what he needs to do to win the league. And, you know, this discussion is, is a kind of academic discussion about where this sits is in terms of great United sides. And there was a period for like the first leg against Madrid and periods of the second leg against Madrid where it looked like actually this was a really great United side again. Really? First leg against Madrid, United defended. Just defended. It was inter-esque. The last, the last 20 minutes of that game, we kind of battered them, really. And we, we definitely should have won that, that game, you know, if, if Van Persie... That's, that's also the specific point of the season where Van Persie went off the boil as well. It's, it's worth noting. And I think all that stuff, all the kind of statistical analysis, 
presumably that takes the last two months into account, right? All that, all those right. stats you were quoting. And it really is the last two months where United have looked actually poor going forward. You know, the fact that our wingers have all been completely ineffective and they've not, the team hasn't had, as, as Musa Arquanga called Van Persie, the wolf from Pulp Fiction. You know, we've not had the wolf to come and fix everything because he's looked a bit broken himself. Well, well, actually, the successful dribbles per match are 35% down year on year. And I think Valencia, Nani and uh, Young, between them, only have a few goals, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I believe it's three. And last season, Nani got 12 goals, 13 assists, yeah. and Valencia had 15 assists. Yeah. Right? That's just the two of them. And, like, listen, before we get accused of rampant doom and gloom... Doom! I never get accused of that, Paul. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I get roped in with you all the time. People are like, you know, you and him. And I'm like, well, him more than me, but yeah. Um, but yeah, this is not doom and gloom. We're top of the league, 12 points clear. It's been a pretty good season, all things considered. And definitely, if we don't absolutely royally muck the end of the season up, it'll be a better season than we all hoped for. Well, not hopeful, but expected at the beginning of the season. Well, it'll be a better season than last season, right? Because United are going to secure the Premier League, yeah, despite this wobble. But but elsewhere, it's, it's not really any better. OK, made it out of the group. Still wasn't good enough to beat Real Madrid, despite all the, the bad luck. And got knocked out of two cup competitions by Chelsea. By Chelsea! <laughs> Managed by Rafa Benitez, as if, as if there weren't enough ignominy to go around. Yeah, I mean, th- that's all true. But, you know, the, the priority this season was clearly getting the league title back. And that's that's proven to be the case. You know, there's, there's, I'd like to have a discussion that's sort of... I guess it's borne out in the data to some extent. But the thing that fascinates me is this idea that United are a team with phenomenal fighting spirit... Because there is no comparison between the mental strength of the Roy Keane era and what's come since in terms of United sides. Like, 94 side and then the 99 side, you know? Right, yeah, 94 side would kick this lot's ass, right? A debate that can never be won or lost, of course. I I, I don't think there is mental strength in this side, and my suspicions about that, I think, have been confirmed by the last six weeks. I think if United really were about making a response, then it wouldn't have been so shocking. I mean, Monday was shocking. I've got to say, it was a really, really poor performance from United, given the type of occasion it was, right? You know, no pressure really on United. Could have played with some freedom, played truly awfully. Peculiar team selection to play Giggs and Carrick in the centre. Yeah, well, you know, the Tombola has to come out for these games. It was a peculiar team selection because if you ask me what's the worst possible combination we could play in central midfield, apart from Raphael <laughs> and Bootner in there, uh, you know, two actual central midfielders, it probably would have been Giggs and Carrick, right? So, I mean, Carrick's had a fine season, definitely gone off the boil himself in the last month. Giggs, I honestly don't remember the last time he had a good game in central midfield, in a two in central midfield like that. No, I, I think I vaguely remember, but we're talking about seasons ago. You know, it's certainly not recent, and it's certainly not against Yaya. You know, the City could play one in midfield, basically, against those. I mean, obviously, they couldn't, really. Right, yeah. I mean, look, I wasn't surprised Tom Cleverly didn't play, I have to say. He's not had a good time in, in there in, in some of the games. We said it last week. I thought United might play quite narrow. They, I suppose they did, in a way. But it, it just was totally ineffective, and... 
left everyone feeling it was slightly odd team selection. Slightly odd. Could have been worse. The use of substitutions to change it around was completely non-existent. I mean, it was stunning. You know, it was as if Ferguson had no idea how to get more out of his side. And it wasn't like there weren't options. I mean, when Kagawa came on for Ashley Young in the 91st minute, it was like a weird punch in the stomach seeing that happen because it was at least half an hour too late and very, very probably 91 minutes too late. Yeah, well, I had a debate with some people on Twitter at a kick in the grass in particular about Kagawa and, and he's of the opinion that Kagawa may not ever make it at United. And, and look, he may not, right? And there's two reasons why he may not make it at United. Uh, the manager has no idea how to use him, one. And without blowing my trumpet too much, I called this before the start of the season. And and the players have no idea how to use him either. And, and Kagawa actually said in September, I went to look for the quotes, he said in September, they've just got to give me the ball, mm. right? And it's really only Michael Carrick that does. Mm. Carrick will play directly into his feet. No one else does. But he's got to be playing in the right position. How many times has Kagawa played as a 10 this season? It's it's on one hand. It's it's so few. I mean, it's insane to buy that kind of player, the classic Trekkoister, and, and not use him there. It just doesn't make any sense. You know, it's classic Fergie, of course, and you just you're just left with the feeling he doesn't know how to do it. Plus, it's the three into two don't fit. Cannot play Rooney Kigawa and Van Persie in the same side. No, he can't because we haven't got the rest of the personnel to make that work. Because you could you could construct a team where that works, play one behind two uh, with two midfielders behind him. But then you know you're very narrow and all that kind of stuff. I hate Fergie bashing. I really hate Fergie bashing when it comes to. I don't mean other people doing it. I mean me doing it when it comes to team selection and substitutions and the basic mechanics of the game. Because I'm always left feeling there's a reason that he's the best manager ever, and I'm just some bloke who watches football on the telly. All I'm saying is this is what I think when I watch it. I'm, I don't take my opinion on these things very seriously. I know I talk into a microphone about them for an hour every week, but that's only because people seem to enjoy it and mostly I'm here for the singing and the stupid jokes. But from a pure football analysis point of view, there was nothing about that game whatsoever which didn't look like it was absolutely desperately crying out for a different approach to start with and a definitely a different approach to substitutions. I know Cleverley's not been playing brilliantly, but you tell me that that game wouldn't have been better if Carrick and Cleverley had played in the middle and Giggs had played on the left. Look, Paul, it's not it's not Fergie bashing. You know, we're giving an opinion. Yeah. And every fan has this conversation down the pub too. And I can tell you, in a particular pub I was at, every fan was saying the same thing. There were some not very polite things being said, right? Because it was blatantly wrong. Yeah. He just got it wrong. He got it wrong. It was really obvious how wrong it was. Giggs had an absolute stinker of a game. He was terrible and he played 95 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, directly at fault for first goal and, you know, but I don't blame Giggs. Ryan Giggs isn't, Ryan Giggs has never been a central midfielder in his whole career. Never. And he certainly isn't now, you know, and he certainly isn't against the very best opposition that the Premiership has to give United, you know. So anyway, it it was all a bit depressing and sort of weirdly lacklustre. And the only player that really did much credit to himself in the United shirt was the amazing multi-faced Phil Jones who put on a he's got too much skin he's got too much skin he's got a funny face because he's got too much skin it's the only explanation for phil jones's face uh, but he 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 put all that skin on the line definitely really not his goal once again united relying on our old friend own goal uh, for their attacking threat but phil jones's defensive performance was absolutely magnificent and great to see him excelling at a center-back role 
Yeah, look, it's his role, right? <laughs> no, we've never been asked this one before, so perhaps we could have a debate about it. But it, look, he's a central defender. He's he's going to be really good there. He just needs to learn the art of defending and discipline, yeah. right? And and he's got all the other attributes. He's got the pace. He's got the ability to distribute the ball. He's getting better at reading the game. His physical attribute attributes are fantastic. So he's got it all there. You know, people will be just. Dis- determined to label him as a midfielder because he's got those physical attributes he doesn't know how to play midfield i i'd like to put that one to bed it probably won't be but uh, you know look in the the narrower focus of this game he had a really good game he's you know his best player by a mile i thought yeah best player by a mile is the only accurate description uh we had a brilliant question from at jason neelan 88 saying what is phil jones's best facial position the gun <laughs> it's all he knows he loves it I do think he can do an excellent job when we need a specific Phil Neville-esque man-to-man marker in a three in midfield. Fine. Definitely fine. He's demonstrated that a couple of times and he's done it very well. But yeah, he he, he looked excellent. And it, it, the last-ditch challenge is bread and butter to Phil Jones. He is not a clean shorts defender, is he? No, but, you know, that's that's good. Sometimes you United need a bit of that. I, I mean, I think uh, there definitely will be a shake-up of the, the central defensive positions in the summer. Look, there's a lot of defenders there, and Ferguson has to decide exactly which ones he wants because it's it's quite obvious to me that he cannot play Vidic and, and Ferdinand together very often. You know, it's going to be a really rare thing. And I actually think Vidic is the bigger problem. And Vidic is the bigger problem because it makes United play in a certain way. They cannot play a high line. They cannot play the pressing game. And they cannot play 2v2 in central defensive areas with Vidic there. If it was me and people weren't like this, I'd be tempted to ditch him in the summer. Give Ferdinand one more year and bring in another top quality central defender just to, it's going to take a little bit of time before Smalling and Jones are ready at the very highest level. I'm talking about trying to win a European Cup here. Yeah. So yeah. that that would be my strategy because I think it actually causes United some real tactical problems, you know. And and as a result, United end up having to go very narrow. The wingers have been very ineffective and having to defend as an entire team. And that's the only way the team can actually defend. And that's that has made United impotent going forward. You know, it's it's absolutely shocking. It should shock people how much it's affected United. But but this was obvious before. I kept banging on early in the season about how this was structural and not and not just just players, you know. And yep, there you go. So maybe maybe Ferguson spotted that. Of course, there's a horrible rumours about Garay that keep coming up. You know, the lad has gone and got himself Mendes as an agent, which means the twenty million pound fee is on the table. About two pound fifty of which Benfica will actually get. Does George Mendes just work for Benfica now? Is that how it works? It just yeah, I think I think Garay's still fifty percent owned by Real Madrid as well. Great, he'll definitely be a bargain then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Benfica aren't going to get much money. Um, at Marty United FC asks whether Sir Alex was out coached on Monday, like he was by Jose. Poor use or no useful deployment of subs should have taken Rooney or and Giggs off earlier. I, I don't know that I totally agree. Should have taken Rooney off earlier because the problem with taking Rooney off is Rooney playing badly can suddenly spark into life. It's happened a lot. Yeah, I don't think he was fit though. You know, he looked like he was puffing in the last fifteen minutes. Yeah, and it's a problem. It's a problem. Rooney is also a problem. This is the thing. There's there's a lot right in United squad, and there are some very key problems. Not all of which. Not all of which. I'm not saying Rooney's a problem. Like definitely got to ship him out. I'm saying you've got. He causes a problem because he's so good at what he does, but also problematic and frustrating and all that kind of stuff. You know great story in red issue i don't know whether i'm sure everyone picked it up at the game and 
about uh, Rooney's lawyers sending letters to all the newspapers saying you are not allowed to call him fat or unfit or uh, any, you know, make any suggestion of that kind, which is kind of amusing given that the lad himself said he was he often returns to training a few pounds overweight and Ferguson has said many times he needs a few games to get back into match fitness, you know, euphemism for being a fat bastard if there ever was one. Um, at Joe Taylor 84 says with the growing rumours of United being after a centre back, do we think that it's Rio or Vidic that's more likely to be on the way out? I kind of agree with you, and I think the other the thing about Vidic going is you could potentially get a lot of money for Vidic still because someone's gonna like buy him because of his reputation, and also in the right team he would still be an absolute monster for another five years, you know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he still is right. He's, he just causes United some problems in the way that Ferguson has traditionally set up his teams. So the question is, is it more likely, I think it's more likely Fernand goes, he still hasn't signed that contract and he, he doesn't appear willing to do so. As I said, if, if I had a choice, it would be the other way around. But, you know, hey, that's, that's why Fergie's the manager and I'm not, I suppose. The wingers is a real problem. Uh, I, I can't single out the person that's asked us about uh, wingers because everyone basically has asked us about wingers. Zaha's coming in at Mikey Nooms asking whether he's going to be good enough to do it at the top level straight away. You you wouldn't think that's a Champions League winning signing yet. I think it's an excellent one, hopefully, you know, from everything I've heard and seen. You're not signing Ronaldo, are you? Well, no, it, the lad's got the techers, though. I mean, he's, <laughs> there's some phenomenal stuff he produces. I, I mean, I love his footwork. I mean, he's, he's definitely got potential to be really good. Right. It's a rough diamond, and, and we'll see how well Fergie can polish him, and, because that, that he might have to get polished very quickly. Um, so now he's gone, he's definitely going. I think Young will stay. But it would be a bit odd to let him go after two years. I mean, I've taken to calling him in Ashley Meh. Because that's how I feel about him. He's just so mediocre. Uh, I don't hate him, but it just doesn't produce anything of any quality. At least he scored a few blinders last season. You know, he's cut inside, bang it into the top corner. He's not even doing that anymore. And Valencia is in, like, some kind of permanent trough. And this is a difficult one with Valencia because he's obviously a limited player anyway. So confidence plays a plays quite a part in his game, you know. And he's, he's had no confidence for what seems like a year now. And if he's not going to get that back, you just wonder what the value of him is, you know. And uh, if he does get it back, then then he can steamroller defenders like he did towards the back end of last season. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, you do the math and it looks like we need another winger as well as a half. Yeah. We don't, you know, that you, you take this squad, you just add like four Dortmund players into the United squad and they're the best squad in the world. You know, it's just we, we don't have the 200 million or whatever it would cost to buy those four Dortmund players. If you could pick two, it'd be Hummels and Royce for me. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, Goetze wouldn't be far away, and then Lewandowski. You know, he's a good striker, but <sighs> I, I, I can, I can leave or take him. <laughs> you know, he's a good striker, but I, I don't think he's going to change United's world. But, but Royce would. You know, great player, great player, and, and Hummels, you know, absolutely outstanding central defender. And the problem with signing Royce is like that would be another number ten, though, right? It's you know that he's another I don't know ten, nine and a half, eight and a half type, isn't he? So. Yeah, he's more an eight and a half. You know, I see him as an attacking midfielder rather than a, rather than a traditional ten. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're not going to get any of those players, though. Oh, we're not buying anyone. Dortmund aren't selling us anyone after they sold us Shinji. I don't think they're going to be back for more. Well, Lewandowski's definitely going. He's definitely going. He's got a year left on his contract. He will go. And the, right. the other really interested party, it seems, is Bayern. You know, they've been making all the noises. And I think uh, Dortmund executives would rather cut their own nuts off than sell to Bayern, surely. Well, yeah, except it's Germany, isn't it? So that's what they all do. They all end up just selling their best players to Bayern eventually, right? That's the way German football works. 
Why can't we be like Bayern, Ed, and buy everyone's best players? Yeah, yeah, well, you know, it didn't quite work like that. We buy Ashley Young instead. <laughs> oh, dear. There was a break in the City game, and Rooney and Van Persie were tearing up the field, and then tearing up outside him on the left is Ashley Young, and that's where the ball end up, and you just sort of go, oh, right, well, that's that done then. Uh, he's not rubbish. I don't think he's rubbish. He's just, you know, you Rooney, Robin Van Persie, Ashley Young, one of these things is not like the other. No, well, look, if United had four you know, wide midfielders, like we have four strikers, then that'd be fine because he'd be the fourth on the list. But United have three and then try and cram a whole bunch of other players in there. You know, Welbeck's basically played all his games wide this season. Rooney's played there, Kagao's played there, Giggs has played there occasionally and so on and so on. So, you know, he's played, even though he's not been fit, he's still played more games than he should have. Right, so all this all this aside, there, there's a lot right with the United squad as well. I think defensively, like the, the fact that we've got three of the best young central defenders in the world is pretty awesome, you know. Um, and even if you don't call Evans young anymore, he's just one of the best central defenders in the world. Raphael is the absolute outstanding, most improved player in the United side this season, you know. And we'll see what happens next season because it doesn't always last with players. Uh, but if he keeps this up for the rest of his United career, he's absolutely fine. And I don't really have too many worries about Evra he seems to have had a bit of a renaissance since Boot has come and scared him with that one goal he scored that one time Carrick is obviously not a problem uh, cleverly I'm still not entirely convinced but he's definitely an effective player isn't he whether he's the very top level we, we, it's definitely too early to say uh, and obviously we have no problems at all in the striking department no, which of course means that Ferguson will spunk 55 million euros on Falcao this summer, according to Marker. So first of all, is Marker like a good newspaper? Do they do they talk about those things when they've got good sources or do they just write whatever they want? No, nah, it's not broadsheet. It's trash, isn't it? Right. You know, it's, it's sports gossip. They have to fill a lot of com- column inches. They do, did run with it on the front page, though, as the banner, which is interesting because, you know, that's uh, that's throwing some weight behind it. They're traditionally a Real Madrid supporting paper. And, you know, the debate in marker over the last few months has been who will finish second. <laughs> Rail or the scum from down the road. All oh, right, right, right. Atleti being the working man's club and, and Real being Paolo Di Canio's favourite club. Um, at Ginger Regista asks, can Falcao play in midfield? Well, we'll find out if Ferguson ever buys him. <laughs> can he play right back? That's the key question Sir Alex is going to ask. Actually, it's been a disturbing lack of players who are not fullbacks playing at fullback this season if you don't count Jones and Smalling, which they haven't played there that often because Raphael's been there all the time. But it's just a lot of, you know, not a lot of central midfielders at fullback this season. And Michael Carrick hasn't played fullback for five minutes this season. No, no. Very disappointing. Valencia's played there a few times. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. But it's remarkably unclear what Valencia is at the moment. So right back is as good a guess as any, I suppose. So anyway, I mean, transfer rumours. So there's the Falcao thing. I, I can't say I see that one happening at all. I'm sure that's just to flush out, uh, you know, the real bidders, which will be City and or Chelsea. I presume. I, I presume that Atletico will cash in on him this season. And then there's the Valencia Nani Anderson triumvirate, and and you know, Anderson's got to go, and Nani's got to go. And they, that's been a failed 60 million euros worth of spend that has, hasn't it? You know, in in totality, it's it's not been great. Won't get much for it. For either of them Valencia would be interesting maybe maybe not and and the other real one at risk is Rooney of course in the summer you know um, it's not a coincidence that these stories about PSG are, are coming around all the time I don't think I think United would take a bid so what sort of bid would it have to be do you think mid 20s 25 million you sell Rooney 
Well, I'm not saying I would sell him, but I think that that would do it as a number. Yeah. Really? If if United get bid 25 million for Wayne Rooney, so seven million more than they paid for Ashley Young, they'll they'll sell Rooney. It's just some speculation on my part, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'm not buried into the Rooney camp or anything. I'd have to be a cheeseburger to be. No, no. so <laughs> it's some speculation, but I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Do you think the Rooney Fergie relationships as good as everyone's making out? You know, the lady doth protest far too much, and and Rooney. Uh, interesting story floating around the internet. Rooney was perfectly fit after the England games discuss exactly why the smoking drinking getting shit-faced and pissing in alleyways might have led him to being out of the team allegedly don't sue me Rooney lawyers <laughs> they, they definitely said they would sue you if you said all those things though didn't they yes which is why i'm alleging that nasty people on the internet have written that nasty nasty right, okay no but the bad people on the internet not us yeah 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 the ones with absolutely no credibility <laughs> not us the ones with no credibility 25 million for Rooney seems like an insanely small fee because uh, whatever you think of him, I don't know, the level of talent and output are way out, way 20. What, you could not replace Wayne Rooney with a player of similar quality for 25 million pounds, could you? No, but he's, it, look, he, he might be on the downslope, right? <laughs> you know, this guy's 28 mm. and not looked after himself. So that's the question. He's on massive, massive money. So that yeah. also figures into it. And he's the, the next big contract means that there's no real resale feet after that you know we might have seen the best of me i'm just putting one argument here no i think it's a logical argument you asked me the other day who, who did i think is united's best player you know it's it's still rooney if he's mm. got it and if he wants yeah. it right yeah. but but th- those questions are serious questions to ask you know the physical decline really has set in then then it's not coming back yeah, no, you're right about that. But, you know, if we end up, this is all speculation, obviously, but if we sell Anderson, Nani, Rooney and Valencia as a kind of maybe uh, in the summer, we really need to bring in at least one more player than we get rid of, right? I mean, you could say that Nani, Nani and Zahar is pretty much a straight swap. So it's then just like, Anderson, you've got to replace him if you sell him because, you know, for goodness sake, surely this is going to be the summer where Sir Alex buys a central midfielder. Well, yeah, Falcao. So, so like, I, I can't imagine Anderson stays. What's the point? Seriously. You know, make, make, come on, make me an argument that he should stay, right? Six years of injury and underwhelming performances. I, I don't I don't have a good argument why he should stay, but I think he's going... He, I don't think it's impossible that he would. But if he does go, you've got to buy another midfielder, right? Yeah, right. I agree. I agree. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. I love I love a bit of speculation about transfers. You know, of course, you know, absolutely nothing will happen except a couple of kids coming. <laughs> so, look, there's there, that's the other question as well. You know, which of United's kids are ready to step up? Because, you know, instinctively, it just feels to me as if there's some good players there, but no potential Messi's in there, you know? These, these are not outstanding kids burning up everyone else in, in their age group. And so there's some good ones there. What happens with Will Keane? He's probably not quite ready to, to make the step up. Does he get a loan somewhere? That that would be probably sensible. Uh, the other ones I really like are Genuzi and Dali. But again, there, I don't think either of them are anywhere near ready for the first team yet. They've got a couple of years off, you know? So there isn't anyone obviously about to step in. Michael Keane, maybe, but it's difficult to know, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think so to be honest yeah and and then so you know the kids aren't going to fill holes just yet and Ferguson keeps on going about you on about youth and I'm looking around the team wondering where it is yeah it's not there is it in the first team Danny Welbeck Tom Cleverley 
Danny Welbeck, but he's 22, 20, 23, Tom Cleverley. 25, Johnny Evans. Raphael's, what, 22 now, but he's had four seasons at United, right? These aren't inexperienced players. And and then the, the question of United's ageing players is a real issue, right? It's not just Giggs and Scholes who presumably will retire and Ferdinand, but also Michael Carrick now, you know? The, the, is a physical decline starts setting in there, if the, just a little edge goes off, that could be pretty fatal. Patrice Ever, how long can he keep on playing this many games? That's a real issue, you know, no cover at left back. If Fabio comes in, does Ferguson trust him? Because, you know, we sure as hell know that Bootner is not good enough. Um, lots and lots and lots of questions <clears throat> all sounds a bit negative but you know i think they're all realistic ones uh, there'll be some balls juggling and then the other question of whether united has the money or is willing to spend it uh, and and talking of money of course an absolutely massive sponsorship deal for the training ground will any of it be thrown into the transfer pot I don't know, Ed. Will any of it be thrown into the transfer pot? Uh, further depressing news from the people that brought you relentless streams of depressing commercialisation. Uh, Carrington Training Grounds are going to be renamed the Aeon Training Complex. Is that right? Something like that, anyway. Carrington. <laughs> I guess at least the one upside is it means that us and City will have a different name for our youth academies. Well, City are moving into the centre of town, you know. They're spending £400 million worth of Abu Dhabi's finest sovereign wealth that the people of Abu Dhabi have slaved over. (laughs) Quite literally. You're saying there's a human rights problem in the Middle East, Paul? No, not at all. I don't know anything about that subject. Please don't have me shot or arrested or both. The problem, there's a human rights problem here as well, by the way. Plenty of slave labour in the UK as the government introduces a bill to mean that you have to work if you're unemployed, meaning that the jobs that you could potentially get if you were going to be employed aren't there anymore because they're being filled by unpaid labour, basically. So, you know, not like we're brilliant on the old human rights front here. Anyway, oh, and also, like, yeah, definitely don't be ill or disabled uh, because your chances of getting any help from the state are diminishing rapidly. That's another. Mm, that's Anderson screwed then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so that's another human rights problem here. But anyway, you didn't come here for a lecture on communism. That's no way to talk about Sir Alex's managerial methods. Incidentally, we we, we talked about Thatcher briefly earlier, but the, one of the things that I always think of when I think of United and Thatcher is the big United quiz of the year a couple of years ago, where um, or it might have been last year, where they, they play that game where you have to mime out a celebrity or, or describe a celebrity without saying their name. And Sir Alex just went, got the ticket, he said Margaret Thatcher, he just said vehemently, the worst Prime Minister this country has ever seen. And the physio instantly said Margaret Thatcher could not have been quicker. So I think we all know where Sir Alex stands on the departed ex-Prime Minister. Anyway, talking of the legacy of that ex-Prime Minister, privatisation and selling things off in order to make a quick buck at the expense of heritage in the future... We, we've sold the naming rights to the training ground ultimately it, it does no harm to anyone really it's just sad that it's all like this nowadays right you know most people i've spoken to about this say the same thing yeah it's easy money you know and fair enough it is easy money but it's it's a symptom of the times you know that every piece of real estate physical and otherwise uh, about manchester united is sold you know if it, if it wasn't prohibited by the premier league rules they'd look at, i think as you said uh, on twitter like a nascar driver Every single thing, you know, you'd be taking the muck in the, the Burger King toilets sponsored by, you know, whatever came along the next day. So it's it's the sign of football. It's so depressing. It hurts. 
This isn't football. Football used to exist for the sake of being football. Now it exists solely, well, at United, in order to make money. That's that's why it's kind of nice, you know, when clubs like Dortmund do well, because this is a club that is 50 plus one chair owned by the fans. And you know, 80,000 people there the other night saw a fantastic game. You saw that wall of yellow and some of them were paying 11 euros to get in. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when I, when I made the, the reference to the NASCAR t- thing it, it was in a moment of genuine i don't know it's, it's not something i care about to my very core like you know the stuff with the disability living allowance all that type of stuff which i actually do really care about ultimately i don't care about the ethics of commercialization in football as much as i care about other things but since this is a football podcast and since i do sort of end up finding myself caring a lot about football I don't know how to square away the fact that we do this every week, right? We're both, like, pretty passionate Manchester United fans by anybody's, you know. We, like, literally spend hours and hours every week talking about them, watching them, thinking about them. You spend ages writing about them. You know, it's a it's a huge part of both of our lives. And, yeah, absolutely everything that they stand for as an organisation and almost everything that they represent in terms of their place in modern football on the pitch too is stuff that I really really have great distaste for so what am I doing how am I still a United fan when you know there was last when the Suarez stuff happened I, I said if my club acted like Liverpool did in that moment I wouldn't be Liverpool fan and I wouldn't be able to call myself a Liverpool fan anymore it's always summed up very well in four words, isn't it? Love United, hate Glazer, right? So you can love the team on the pitch and hate everything the club's become off it in the last seven years, you know? And I know there's plenty of people who are apathetic and just don't care. Okay, fair enough. It's, it's the globalisation of the sport. There are plenty of fans who just do not care. Plenty of fans locally as well, but there are plenty who do. Plenty who've been priced out. Plenty who just feel like me that it cheapens the club to chase every single dollar. It's not as if it's even like a bunch of premium brands. What was flashing up around the the stadium when United were being beaten by City? Mr. Potato. It's all kinds of class, that is. Um, I've I've heard from our good listeners in the Far East that Mr. Potato is a quality brand and uh, should not be dissed in and of itself. Had a conversation with our friend Liz on Twitter over the uh, course of the week, and she was suggesting that maybe actually this would be a fantastic solution to the debt crisis, not just at Manchester United, but in the country. We could have the Mr. Potato Houses of Parliament and the Mr. Potato Welsh Assembly. <laughs> you know, fair enough. Yeah, um, if this current government, and you know, which is very much in the guise of her that was just departed, and it really believes in privatisation. Yeah, we should have Downing Street sponsored by mm, Dixons. Well, the thing is, the reason this government can't get itself out of the trouble that she, who has just departed, got us into is because she had a bunch of stuff that the British people owned to sell off, which uh, she sold it all off. You can't sell it off twice. Unlike naming rights, which, of course, you can sell off twice because you just get to the end of the contract to sell it again. You're not selling the actual building. So genius. And we're not at the end of this yet, of course, because United's contract with Nike comes up not long away now, right? And that's going to be another absolutely mega deal. I mean, it's it's it, depending on how many shirts are sold, it's 23 million plus something. So it works out about 25, 26 million or something per season. You know, it's good money anyway. It'll double. For sure, you know, the, the, the levels have been set now, both by the, the Chevrolet deal and the, the Aon deal for the training ground. And the fact that United were prepared to rip up the 10 million a season from DHL, which we all thought was ridiculous at the time anyway, for even more uh, is remarkable, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and it just, there will come a point where I can't take it anymore. 
you know that that's the the honest truth it sounds melodramatic i I actually don't mean it that melodramatically because it wouldn't i don't think it would be that big a thing when it did happen but there'll come a point where i just can't cover them anymore because they're you know i don't want to spend every week railing against them because that's not interesting but it's just this commercialization is not innocent basically i guess that's i guess that's really the root of how i feel about it that the idea that it's kind of easy money and there's brands throwing themselves at united so why not it's not innocent the truth of the matter is that we all suffer because of commercialization the the lie that is told whereby brands will make your life better and brands that associate with the things you care about you should then associate yourself with because they represent those values we are all lessened by that happening because because at the heart of that is a lie which is that these brands will make your life better when they won't you're telling me mr potato doesn't make your life better (laughs) no mr potato for sure makes your life worse (laughs) you know what about yanmar the official global partner moving manchester i don't even know who they are No, we don't know who any of these people are. You know, Smirnoff is the official responsible drinking partner of Manchester United, and that's all you need to know about commercial doublespeak right there. Anyway, enough enough of the... I know this is called the rant cast, but we're not normally big on the ranting. Yeah, you sound like a tin of Kansai paint drying. That's what's happening here. (laughs) Yes. Well, quite. At least I'm brand-appropriate paint. Anyway... At GingerPrince89 says, Being held prisoner by a vicious torturer, what United player on a rescue rescue mission would you pray for? Who would you want to save you from the clutches of a baddie, Ed? Roy Keane? No, a current United player. The answer is always Roy Keane, but it's got to be a current one. I I, I love the demented look in his eyes. You know Steve Bell, the cartoonist, right? He used to to draw Margaret Thatcher with one eye kind of slightly wonky, you know, to just give her that crazy demented look. That's Roy Keane. Roy Keane has become Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> but presumably not politically. But yeah, so which which current United squad member would you want to rescue you in a kind of uh, held hostage style situation? Liam Neeson from Taken, who best plays that role? Well, I mean, I guess it's it's Vidic because, you know, he's hard as nails, although he would be a little slow and, and all they'd have to do is kick him in his knee and that, that'd be done. Yeah, Vidic in his prime would have been perfect. I don't know, I I, I think maybe just want the, the stylings of Ryan Giggs because he could do a whole bunch of different techniques, like he could, you know, seduce his way past... Past, uh, past the first set of guards and then do some kind of crazy yoga to summon up a fireball to burn the door down. And, you know, I reckon Ryan Giggs would make a pretty good international, magically-powered superhero. Well, it would be... Turkish Airlines are apparently cancelling their contract with United. This is another one. Oh, right. And, uh, you know, sorry sorry to go off the tangent. Oh, they're not renewing. Rumours on the grapevine say that Aeroflot might be in the bidding for the official airline partner, which would be somewhat disturbing given their safety record and the history of this club. You know, I'm just I'm just leaving it out there that it wouldn't be my favourite choice. I didn't know where that was going and then suddenly went there. It was a real problem. At Phil Gat says, would you know the number of a pest control company, as the wife's just called, to say a cat's brought a mouse into the house? Oh, okay, he tweets back. Wife just called again. She caught the mouse herself, so forget my last question. Thanks for listening, though. You're welcome, Phil. Uh, The great Phil Gat, one of of the finest of all uh, United fans, I think it's fair to say. Uh, He also says, if United dropped the points against Stoke, should we start panicking a little? Yes. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Not squeaky bum, pouring out bum. (laughs) Yes. Hashtag I had too many singer beers, the official beer of Manchester United's. This is all fun and games, this dropping points and having a bit of a wobble and getting knocked out of the FA Cup and losing to City until someone gets hurt. 
and someone getting hurt would beat us losing at the weekend and City winning and then it's nine points and then we're in the middle of a narrative right then and there. Fortunately, although we have heard repeatedly in, in this discussion that going away to Stoke is like, you know, that's a tough fixture at the moment. Aston Villa just beat Stoke at the Britannia. Stoke are the worst team in the world again. Villa were that for a little while but they have been officially replaced Sunderland probably nip, nipped their nose in front in that particular unfortunate horse race. But but right now, the steed dashing to the finish line with its nose flopping in the wind is the atrocious Stoke City. Well, they are, yeah. But of course, you know, uh, they somehow believe that we are their major rivals. So they might be up for it. The fans normally are with their various, you know, Neanderthal-style chants and stuff that they do in Stoke. Weird shit, generally. But yeah, they're in, they're in terrible, terrible form, Stoke. United should go there and smash them. But funnily enough, United aren't in much better form. No, that's true. Uh, on, on paper, United in, in OK form, apart from the last two games. But uh, we haven't scored a goal ourselves since, I think, that was the Rooney the Rooney goal the last uh, in the Chelsea game? Was that the last goal we, we scored under our own steam? And that sort of fluked its way into that. Everything else has been an own goal since then. And, and yeah, United, United have been uh, pretty subpar, as, as discussed ad nauseum by us in the first part of the podcast. I think we must have enough to pl- beat Stoke. The the one thing that's really fascinating at this point is team selection because if I was Sir Alex, which I'm clearly not, I would not pick any of our wingers. I re- I just wouldn't. I wouldn't play any of them. I would just go with a diamond with Kagawa at the head of it, cleverly and Carrick behind him, Phil Jones in behind him, Johnny Evans, Rio Ferdinand and Ever and Raphael and De Gea, and then I'd be really happy and be confident that team could easily see off Stoke. But with with the sort of with what was actually going to happen, I'm I'm a little bit more worried because we will rely on our wingers uh, and and that won't work. Yeah, I mean, look, I have no idea what the team will be, no idea what it should be, really. I mean, I, I guess you'd have to say they're going to need to grind out a result. It's not as if United are going to start playing free flowing football out of nowhere. We're not about to smash someone. There's no there's no indicators there that say this is going to happen. So yeah, sure, play narrow, play dirty, don't play pretty, grind out a result because really needs to happen. It's funny, I, I saw people saying, what matters is the result now? Now we're talking in the Sunderland game. What matters is the result now? Really? United are 15 points clear. What matters was smashing them, you know, and getting some form back. But I think after the loss to City, 12 points, lose, lose at Stoke, 9 points. That would get really nervous, I think. So uh, let's just make sure whatever happens that they uh, pick up the points there. It doesn't matter how pretty it is. doesn't matter how the goal's going. I don't care if Rooney picks it up and throws it in. I think it's the points that count and nothing else. Yeah, so the the running for the rest of the season now, and and the, and how serious a, a, a possibility it is that somehow we will mess this up. I, I guess we need to win three games between now and the end of the season, and we've got more than three winnable games between now and the end of the season. But the the problem is, do the walls start closing in if we lose at Stoke? Even if we drew at Stoke, that starts to look a little bit worrying, although not as sort of abject, kind of vertiginal drop sort of feeling in the pit of your stomach. Because uh, after last season, God, imagine the pain of throwing away a 15-point lead this season. Yeah, I'll probably have to kill somebody. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. No, no, let's not even imagine that. But <laughs> okay. look, so, so, yeah, it, it would feel pretty sick if Stoke, by some miracle, beat United on Sunday. 
United then go to West Ham shortly afterwards. That's not going to be a pleasant place to go. West Ham aren't playing that well either, but they, they love a party or a, they love a game against United down at the Bolin, don't they? Fortunately, United then play Aston Villa at home, which should be a good one. But then it's the trip to Arsenal and the game against Chelsea, and Chelsea keep beating us. So all of a sudden, if we lose at Stoke, that starts looking not so pretty. Put in a good performance at Stoke. Everyone feels much better. Go to West Ham and win, and we're done and dusted and we don't have to worry about it anymore. You certainly don't want to be worrying about picking up points again in that double header against Arsenal and Chelsea, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's, yeah, that's absolutely key. Uh, Rio Ferdinand says that Manchester United do not get the credit they deserve for their dominance of English football as they near a 20th league title. Uh, I hope we're near a 20th league title, Rio, or sub-editor who changed his wording slightly to make it look like that's what he said. It's funny that the whole thing about United and, and the credit they're given because we've spent a lot of this podcast about talking about the things that are wrong because the last couple of weeks have been really ropey. But the way in which the last couple of weeks have been really ropey sort of exposes all the things that we were sort of afraid were going on anyway. That's why we're talking about it. It's not a knee-jerk reaction to the situation. It's about the, oh, actually, the the cracks that were being papered over so effectively by particularly Robin Van Persie are starting to show again. And there are still systemic problems that Ferguson hasn't solved in and around the squad and the team. But the one thing that, you know, in in that sort of drunken tirade he went on at the uh, MUTV Awards last season, he said, I'm a winner. And that's the thing about him. And that and that is where he does deserve the ridiculous amount of credit. Because, yeah, City have, have let this slip this season. But United could easily have let it slip too. You know, we could be down there with City in terms of the number of points. But we're not. We, we, they, they have found a way to win a lot of times this season. Yeah, yeah, no, they have, and even if the numbers don't stack up in terms of any kind of progression for United, they really have. City, City, it really doesn't look pretty. You know, if you were Roberto Mancini, you should worry for his job because the drop-off in performance has been stunning. You know, they've scored 20 goals less and they've got six points less than at the same time last season. Every other number looks terrible. You know, I had a look at all of this. It's uh, Their performances have gone off a cliff. Yeah. And that's why they are where they are, you know, and, and uh, if I was Mancini, I'd worry because their owners are expecting real success two years in a row of failure in the Champions League it's it's hard to make a good case for Mancini given the context of what they're trying to achieve there in normal if it, if it wasn't that if it's something else you'd say look he won the title it's been a bad season whatever you know and he's got a lot of banker credit could be interesting if they get beaten by Chelsea on Sunday there might there might be some rumblings over at the Etihad anyway that's speculation of course and of course following Stoke there's West Ham away bowling ground some uh, not great results there over the years no absolutely I mean you know we're playing Stoke and then a Sam Allardyce team in a week so it's not going to be a week of beautiful football from our opponents is it I don't really like West Ham Ed I'm pretty upbeat about other football teams, generally speaking. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not one of life's haters. I, I kind of don't really like Liverpool, but honestly, I never really cared about them that much when everyone else hated them, and I know I was supposed to hate them, but it's only really the the racist stuff that's bugged me recently. Mm. I don't really like Chelsea either for very similar reasons, and and I just West Ham. Oh dear, I like, I like the song. I know it's wrong to like the song if you're a United fan. I, I know it's, you know, that's a, t- a terrible. Derrick election of duty but when i was little i liked it where i'm forever blowing bubbles and i still sort of do so did michael jackson come on that's david brent style humor right there literally 
talking of racism, UEFA has come out and said that they'd like to see a 10-game ban for racists, but they don't want to instigate the punishments yet because they need to educate players first. I, you know, I had this vision in my head of, of uh, Michelle Platini sitting down with Suarez. Now, now, Mr. Suarez, the things is a list of naughty words you're not allowed to say. It's like South Park, you know? Mothers against Canada protesting about all the naughty words, you know? Horrific, deplorable violence is okay as long as you don't say any naughty words. And it's a bit like that, UEFA. They won't really do anything. But, you know, Mr. Suarez sits down with Platini now, Mr. Suarez, you're not allowed to say anything beginning with the letter N. <laughs> Basically, if you can steer clear of that, you'll probably be all right. West Ham, are they're, they've sort of had an odd season, really. Moments of, of quality earlier in the season. Andy Carroll was, in theory, a very good signing for them, although he's obviously had a lot of injury problems. Yeah, they're, they're fine, aren't they? There's, there's sort of nothing wrong with them. Uh, as a team, they're, they're all right. They've ground out enough results to not be really in the mix for relegation. And that's, you know, that that's what they were after, isn't it? No, they should be all right. I mean, you know, they've got they've got six points or so, so they should be fine for relegation. I, I have some terrible memories of West Ham, basically. You know, there's been some shocking games. Uh, too many I've been there and United have really blown things. So uh, it never makes me feel very good. But, you know... Sam, Sam's best buddies with Fergie. He'll, he'll rotate, won't he, you know? <laughs> he will. Anyway, so a double headache could make or break United's season. God, two losses. And next time we come back and do this pod, we're going to have some serious squeaky bum, I tell you, you know? <laughs> it's going to be some real, real problems. That's that's eating... Well, what's the hottest chilli in the world? It's like, they won the world record, the infinity chilli. One and a half million scoballs of heat, right? That's eating two of them raw. That's how squeaky the bums will be if we lose twice this week. I don't think they'd be squeaky at all at that point. I think you'd just be dead. I think it's pretty straightforward. Um, the, 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 the thing about these two fixtures is, honestly, if we lose these two games, what will happen is the first 20 minutes of next week's pod will just be me and Ed ranting on for ages about the weaknesses of Manchester United squad relative to other squads of past... Uh, wait a minute, that happened this week as well. The truth of the matter is that they've become vital games by the simple fact that we lost the derby. Now, the fact that we had a 15-point cushion going into the derby is absolutely amazing because, yeah, really what should happen now is United should find their feet again in the midst of this wobble. I don't expect them to be absolutely world-beating, but nor do I expect them to be as average as they've been, actually. I, I think you really, really hope for a reaction, although we have been saying that for weeks on end and we haven't had it yet, but surely it must be coming. Not not the, the, the absolute tonking, but just the writing of the ship. Yeah, well, it's got to happen now. It's got to happen now, you know. So... Predictions? I mean, do you think it will happen? I, th- I You know what? I've, I've got no feeling that United are actually going to go out and play well in either of these games. But I think there's go- there's got to be. There's got to be a wake-up call. Otherwise, it's going to go seriously pear-shaped. So I think United are going to grind out two 1-0 wins. OK, perfect. I, I, I'm going to go exactly with that. I think you're right. Maybe even 2-0 a bonus goal against Allardyce. Because, uh, you know, give a little rollover and a tummy tickle just at the end of that one. Goodness knows what's actually going to happen in these games, but that's a reason, as reasonable a prediction as any. And I don't think we're going to blow it. I really don't think we're going to blow the league. Because, you know, we're 12 points clear with seven games left. And if you can't win the league from there, then you don't deserve to be. And then then it'll be very clear where this United side stands in the, in the Pantheon. But for now, 
they still have a, a chance of writing themselves into the history books because although we've all become accustomed to winning the league as as evidenced by that thing I was talking about earlier in terms of like Arsenal never won it twice in a row Chelsea the only team in the Fergie era apart from us to have won it twice in a row uh, you know it is just not easy to win the league over and over and over again and every team that does it deserves immense credit you know sure it's this is just about this is a discussion about relativity isn't it it's just where where it is in the pantheon of great Fergie sides Yes, somewhere down the list, but but maybe it will be a little further up after the next week or so. And I guess we'll leave it there. We've whistled on long enough about politics and racism and a little bit of football, and we'll see you next week. But in the meantime, you can get me at United Rant on Twitter, Paul at UTD Rantcast. Send us your questions and abuse directly to Paul. <laughs> we are on Facebook. I don't think anyone ever looks at it. No, we get like we get like three likes a week. It's awesome. So, so go and like us on Facebook. Do it right now. You're listening to this. There's no excuses. Go like United Rant on Facebook. If we get 100 new likes this week, I will post something on Facebook every day for a month. Do you know what the likes are now? 2,000 and something, I think. You'll have to look them up. So 100 likes on Facebook, you'll post something yeah. on Facebook every day for a month. That'll be amazing. So yeah, we'll be back next week. Thank you very much for listening and hopefully we'll be back talking about 6.1 and the wobble being firmly a thing of the past and a distant memory and United cruising towards the 20th league title.